got me a new Bible this week. Don't you just love it when you get a new Bible? I did this week, man. I was just like, mmm, I love a new Bible. I said something about getting new Bibles. I only got 10 on myself, but something about getting a new Bible. I got me a, went out and got me a New King James Bible. I'm not stuck on any translation. I like the New King James, I like the NASB, I like the ESV. But I went out and got me a New King James Bible this week and uh, just love it. Can't wait to read from it this morning. Can't wait to read from this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the... Uh, what we're going to be looking at today is the rapture, the rapture of the church. So I'm going to, we're going to read the passage and then I'll fill in a little more. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's look at verses 13 through 18 together this morning. The apostle says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself, here it is guys, the rapture, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this beautiful, glorious truth that we're going to explore for the next couple of weeks. Lord, teach us, guide us, and lead us by your spirit, Father. And let these words sink deep, that we may treasure them in our heart and love you more than anything. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Um, anybody live in the Columbia back in the 90s? And remember Christian Outreach Center? It was a church in West Columbia. They had this production called The Rapture. Y'all do? Okay, we got a couple of hands. Well, guess who was in it? Me. <laughs> Me. Christian Outreach Center, back in the 90s, we, uh, we did the outreach called The Rapture. And we literally had thousands of people coming each week. It was an amazing performance, very grounded in Scripture. It was a huge outreach with altar calls every night. It was so great that after three or four months of doing it, we did a sequel the next year called The Tribulation. <laughs> and it was very good. It was very good. It was a very uh, fruitful and productive ministry that we were a part of that emphasized the, the imminence uh, of Christ's return. And you know, he could come any day. He could come before I finish this message. He could come this afternoon. No man, no man knows the day nor the hour but he could come. And we need to understand that. Anybody remember that bumper sticker back in the 90s that said this? In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. And for some people, that freaked them out. For other people, they were like, if you don't get out of my way, I'm going to take you out. But there's, or, or how about the, the Left Behind series with Kirk Cameron? We remember those. Uh, the Left Behind series with Kirk Cameron where people were vanished from the earth. Where 
did they get that theology? Where did they get that from? They got it from the passage that we're studying this morning. In 2005, I was in the National Guard. I was out in Arizona doing border patrol with, with the border security. And uh, I got one weekend off. And this was my journey to Calvary Chapel, by the way. I, I, I got a weekend off, and I drove up to Phoenix, Arizona, and I visited a church called Calvary Chapel Phoenix. And um, I wept that whole day because they were teaching verse by verse through the Bible. And guess what passage they were teaching? This passage right here. The very passage that we're looking at in 2005, I visited Calvary Chapel Phoenix and I wept the whole day because I was like, wow, this is so good. And I, I heard just teaching from scripture and it touched my heart so greatly. I called Irene. I said, honey, I'm coming home in three weeks. Look up Calvary Chapel. We're going to find us a Calvary Chapel. And there we, we landed at Calvary Chapel Lexington in 06 or 05, somewhere in there. But it was from this teaching. This is a powerful teaching. Now, just a couple things um, concerning future events. First, we have the rapture of the church. Okay? Then we have uh, the day of the Lord the great tribulation, and we have the second coming, okay? Now, in the scriptures, there's this thing called the day of the Lord. It's called the great tribulation, and the day of the Lord is basically a day of reckoning. It's a day of judgment. It's a day that, that God's word says that, hey, y'all have had your day. God says, now I'm going to have my day, and all things are going to be reckoned with. Um, there's Acts chapter 2, verse 20 says, talking about the day of the Lord, the great tribulation, it says, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Look at um, these verses that talk about the day of the Lord. There's so many of them that I, I couldn't write them all down or quote them all, but those are all the verses, most of the verses in the Old and New Testament that refer to the day of the Lord. And basically the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It's a day of uh, that the prophets are warning, judgment is coming. There's coming a day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and all will stand before God. It's, uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 30 calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Um, it's when uh, God pours out his wrath on, on, a, uh, on a sinful, evil, rebellious world. And also in the middle of this great tribulation, there's a, we see in the book of Revelation, in the promise of the Old Testament, there's going to be this revival of Israel. You know, God's not done with Israel. God is not done with the nation of Israel. If you have any doubts about that, go study Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. He has a plan for those beautiful people over there on that little piece of land. He has not forgot them, and one day he will turn his attention back to them. So, a lot of times when you're studying the Bible, as, as I mentioned during announcements, one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament, according to Bible.org, refers to the return of Christ or him coming again. But did you know there's actually two returns? There's two perusias. There's two times where Christ will come to earth. There's the rapture and the second coming. Let's take a look at that. The rapture and the second coming. The rapture, the foundational, the doctrinal verses for it is John 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and 1 Corinthians 15. But the rapture of the church Christ comes for salvation. Now look across at the second coming, which is Revelation chapter 19. Christ is not coming for salvation. He's coming for judgment. 
At the rapture, Christ comes for the believers. We're going to see that this morning, that, that Christ is going to catch the believers away. At the second coming, he's coming with believers. Then number three there, at the rapture, we meet the Lord in the air. At the second coming, he comes all the way to earth. And it even says he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. Turn, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. I want you to see this. And then, of course, at the rapture, no man knows the day nor the hour. If you ever hear anybody say, well, I know when Jesus is going to come again, say you're wrong because the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. And that's evidence that what they're saying is not true because no man knows the day or the hour. So we're studying this morning and we're beginning to study the rapture of the church. I want to read to you the passage on the return of the Lord on the second coming so, you, so as we're studying the rapture, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is totally different. But look at uh, Revelations chapter 19, verse 11. This is after the great tribulation. And listen, look at what John says. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, look at what Jesus does. He judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on him that no one knew except himself. Look down at verse, verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Here it is, verse 14. And the armies of heaven, that's the believers, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, Followed him on a white horse. He's coming back to earth. This is, this is the second coming. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a, a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And then skip down to verse Verse 18, he says that they, excuse me, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. I missed verse 16, excuse me, where it says, and he has on his robe and on his thighs a name written, which is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. You cannot now, as we go back and we study the rapture, the rapture of the church and the second coming are two completely separate events. They're like ice and water. One Christ is coming back for salvation the other one, he's coming back at the end of the Great Tribulation, Revelation chapter 19, where he judges the earth. So, that's the 
second coming now, but we're not focused on the second coming. We're focused on the rapture of the church. So the title of my message this morning, or the outline, is the rapture. The promise, the event, and what happens to me. And I'm pretty certain I'm going to get through with the first two this morning. And we'll do number three, what happens to me, next week. But these are the three places in Scripture that specifically address the doctrine of the rapture. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we'll look at verses 1 through 3. Uh, this is the Thursday evening before Jesus was crucified. He's in the upper room with his disciples, and he's given them instructions. Instructions for them to write down, instructions for them to not let their hearts be troubled, but also instruction and doctrine for the bride of Christ, for the church throughout all ages. So these words apply to us. So let's look at the promise. This is the promise from Jesus himself. John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. i got to stop right there. What is the solution for a troubled heart? What is the solution for a troubled heart, according to verse 1? That we trust in the Lord. It says, he says, Jesus says, believe in the Father, but believe also in me. Believe in this great and almighty God and Father who reigns above, who created the worlds. And, but not only believe in him, but believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe means that we, that word believe in the New Testament, it means, it means that, we, that we trust that, that, that we obey and that we follow him because he's a good, good father and a good, good Lord. And he's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our obedience. And the promise, a settled heart, a settled, peaceful heart. When there's turmoil, when there's difficulties, the disciples were fixing to get shellacked. That was Thursday evening. What they were fixing to experience over the next weekend with seeing Christ crucified, they were going to have troubled hearts. And Jesus is telling them in advance, do not let your hearts be troubled, disciples. And he's saying to us today, do not let your hearts be troubled. As time moves forward and we get closer and closer to his return, put your faith in God. Put your faith in Jesus. Verse 2, he says, uh, I love this. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. What's he talking about? He's talking about heaven. Jesus is talking about heaven. The New Testament, the, the Bible, excuse me, not just the New Testament, the whole entire Bible, it teaches there are three heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth. We see it every day. You'll see it when you walk out the door. The second heaven is the universe, endless in every direction. That's tough to get your mind wrapped around, to think about this endless, infinite universe in every direction. Wow. But then... The New Testament describes, Jesus says here, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, or 2 Corinthians 12, that there's a place called the third heaven. And that's where Jesus has gone to prepare us a place. If you go to the end of the book of Revelation, John says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven prepared for the bride. He says, in verse 2, he says, um, and if you doubt that, in, in verse 2 he says, I go to prepare a place 
That's the word that's used. I go to prepare a place. The word place, the Greek word is topos. It means a place marked off by geographical boundaries. So it is a place. It even gives the measurements of the city. 1,500 feet, I mean 1,500 feet, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. A perfect square cubed city is what um, heaven is. And look at the promise. The promise in verse 3 is we're working our way into his return. Look at verse 3. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Folks, that's, that verse right there is not a verse of judgment. He's not, this verse right here is not a verse that's talking about coming and judging and, and wiping out the enemies and pouring out wrath. What does it say? First off, I would underline that one statement. If you write in your Bibles, it says, I will come again. That's what Jesus says. That's the promise. He says, I will come again. In other words, it is certainty. It is a fact. We can bank our life on it. Our hearts can rest at night. We can lay our heads on our pillows at night and sleep in peace because we know our Savior is on the throne. And one day, he's going to come again. He's going to come again. It's a fact. And then he says the purpose, halfway through verse 3, if I go to prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again. And then it says what? I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In other words, he's coming to finish the deal of our salvation. What's the final deal? You are completely saved, but you got one more element, and that's a new glorified body a new body free from death free from sickness free from the calamities of life a brand new body and he says i will receive you to myself that where i am you may be also at the second coming he's coming to earth for judgment it's not there's nothing there about taking people away to a place called heaven it's about coming here for judgment but in the but in the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and John chapter um, 14 right here, in verse 3, he says, I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And that's exactly what we see at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, and so you shall always be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. So that's the promise. That's the promise from your God. That's the promise from your Lord and Savior. Straight from John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3, that I've gone to prepare a place. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I will come again. I will come again for to complete the deal of salvation. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at part two, the event. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We opened up with reading this passage, and this is what I call the event. This is what's going to take place in the future. Let's look at it. Verse 13. He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. God made a promise. And we need to understand it, he says there. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Or some of your translations say, I do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, he wants us to understand this doctrine. 
You know, some people chalk up eschatology and the return of Christ and the rapture and revelations. People just chalk it up to uh, whatever's going to happen. He'll, uh, you know, I'm a pan millennial. So he's, he's, I'm going to pan it out all in the end is what they're thinking that God will do. But we should have a position. And whatever your position is, whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, whatever it is, you should find doctrine, scriptures to support your position. But, he's, but, I, but I don't want to miss this important point at, the, uh, at verse 13. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. You know, there's four of these in the New Testament. There's four of these by Paul. Let's look at them. There's four, don't be agoneo, don't be ignorant, don't be uninformed. First one is in Romans 11.25 where Scripture says, don't be ignorant, don't be uninformed. God has a plan for Israel. One day, God is going to turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. And I believe it's at the rapture. At the rapture, the church age in, ends, and then God turns his attention to the world that's rejected him into reviving Israel. But you can read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 to read more about that. The second one is spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, do not be, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant about gifts. And by the way, these are, these are distinctives of Calvary Chapel. We believe that God has a plan for Israel. And we also believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit did not end in the apostolic age. We can't find that in the Bible. We cannot find where they ended. So we, we believe that they continue. That they, they continue. That God gives gifts to the body. I believe that healing is for today. I have a prayer language where I speak, I speak in tongues. In my prayer closet where I seek the Lord. And, and then I say things I don't understand. But I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, as, as does Calvary Chapel. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, don't be ignorant. These are gifts given for the body. But the very thing that was meant to unify the body and bring us together is the very thing that divides us. Is the very thing that divides us, unfortunately. Across the body, you have churches that believe them, churches that don't believe. You have churches that abuse it and swing from the chandeliers and do backflips and flop like fish out of water. And then you have some churches that, that just completely just skip the subject altogether. We don't want to be ignorant. We want to be balanced. We want to be biblical. We want things to be done decently and in order. But we want to see the gifts. The third one is up there, yes, is don't be ignorant about spiritual warfare and Satan's attacks. There is a real spiritual warfare that takes place for the soul of man. There's a real Satan and his demonic hosts that their mission is to take you down, is to take you down and to destroy you, to take you out, to destroy your faith. And the fourth, uh, don't be ignorant, don't be uninformed, is the rapture. First Thessalonians here in um, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. So, and these are core distinctives. These are Calvary Chapel distinctives that we believe and we hold to. We hold to everything the scripture says. You know, everything has to be grounded in the word. And when it's grounded in the word, you won't go wrong. You won't go wrong. That's why we teach it verse by verse. Because, you know, it's not, it's not me coming over here and giving you my ideas, but it's just simply opening the Bible and letting the Bible speak for itself. And then the rules of interpretation is we let the Bible interpret the Bible. You know, we, we just clearly teach it for its clear, straightforward English meaning. So let's get back to verse 13. 
He says here, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep was a euphemism for death. When, it, when a believer dies, their shell, as we know it, the physical body goes in the ground. But the spirit goes where? If they're a believer. It goes straight into the presence of the Lord. You know, this is what comforts us in funerals. You know, I, I know many, I'm sure many of you have buried loved ones, and I have too. But there's nothing more painful than seeing my grandparents lowered. I was like, I won't see them again. You know, in, in my despair, in my, in my carnal mind, in my carnal thinking, it hurt deeply. But then I was like, wait a minute. They're believers. They serve the Lord. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I'm given the hope that I will see them again in, 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 in heaven. You know, uh, Jane's mother passed away uh, a couple weeks ago, and they had the funeral at Calvary Chapel, Columbia. And you know what I loved? We went over there to Calvary Chapel, Columbia. The service was packed out, and it was not a place of mourning. It was a place of celebration. It was a place of celebration. She had graduated. She had graduated to, from, from this life into the life to come, into eternity, into a, with a, new, a new body. And it was a celebration. So we shouldn't mourn as those who have no hope, but we rejoice in the truth of Scripture. And it to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what comforts us. So evidently the Thessalonians, they were, they were, they were, they were worrying, and, and they, they, I guess maybe their faith wasn't confident in what was happening with the brothers and sisters who, who had gone on before them. But look at uh, verse 14. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Verse 14 is a compact gospel. In this, ver in this one verse right here, we have our hope, our anchor, and our belief all in one Bible verse. Verse 14. And I love how the Apostle Paul ties them together. You can't separate them, in other words. You can't. You can't believe one thing and not believe the other. You have uh, Jesus died. We talked about his death on the cross for our sins. And then Anne rose again, his bodily resurrection early on that Sunday morning. And in the same sentence, he says, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. We, not only do we believe in his death and we believe in his resurrection, but we believe he's coming again. He's coming again. And that's the promise of Scripture. And that's where the Apostle, Paul is, yeah, the Apostle Paul is working his way up in this passage here. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, as we move closer to the, the rapture in the text, he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, People that have gone on before the Lord, they are not at a disadvantage um, to us. They will, will, will be raised from the dead. They will receive a glorified body. You and I could be, maybe, in this lifetime, we may not experience death if he comes. We will receive a new body. But it says, uh, he says, for this we say to you, look at what he says, by the word of the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying here, this is an authoritative statement. All scripture is authoritative, but Paul is emphasizing this before the truth of the rapture, saying this is from the Lord. This is from the Lord. We know Paul received direct revelation from God in writing scripture. 
Maybe he got it from him that way. Maybe he knew of the words that Jesus said in John chapter 14. But he says, by the word of the Lord. And then I love what Paul, the very next phrase of verse 15, he says, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Paul believed that Christ could return in his lifetime. He believed it, it could happen then. It, he, he believed it happened then. That, that brings us to the doctrine of the, of the imminent return of Christ. We believe he could come at any moment. Until, until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Until the time of the church age is done. He could come again at any moment. And we're not looking for no events. We're looking for his return. Verse 16. Here we go. Verse 16. The doctrine of the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. The Lord here is talking about Jesus. And, and, and saying Jesus will depart this place called the New Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city. He will depart this place that he's talked about in John chapter 14, that I've gone to prepare a place. He, the, there will come a point in time where the Father will look at the Son and say, it's showtime. It's time to go. And he will, he will depart this place called heaven and his destination, planet Earth. His destination will be planet Earth. And then the verse 16 continues. He says, uh, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. In other words, when this event, this rapture happens, it's going to be known throughout the whole world. There's a, there's a shout um, in verse 16. There's, there's a, um, the voice of the archangel. There's the trumpet of God. In other words, it will be made known throughout the world that this event is taking place. But that word shout... It's, it's, it's a military command. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the same phrase that's used for a military command. Two years ago, my daughter Emily was 17 years old. She went out to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. She went out to basic training. And she endured 10 hard weeks of boot camp. It tore my heart out. I was, I was a train wreck for 10 weeks. Finally, we got to go out there to Fort... Finally, we went out there to Fort Leonard Wood for the family day. And I will never forget this moment. It was a family day. They had an on-post pass, so we went to the PX, and, and then they had to be back by 1800, 6 o'clock. And so uh, we're sitting out there on the picnic tables, and it's like 5.55, and we're all jovial. And there, there's families everywhere. There's families everywhere, and there's soldiers everywhere. And then uh, about 5.55, and um, so everybody's waiting, waiting, and waiting, and we're talking and loving on one another. And all of a sudden, Drill Sergeant Truss. This big old black drill sergeant with arms this big around. Big old burly drill sergeant came out. And he goes, Alpha Company! And he, he just, his, it just bellowed. It just echoed across all the barracks facilities. And then all of a sudden, Emily, the hair stood up on the back of her neck. All the privates. I mean, we hadn't seen, we hadn't seen our kids in 10 weeks. And families and kids were all about each other. And all of a sudden, Alpha Company! And they heard that voice. Emily didn't kiss us. She didn't love on us. She was like, gotta go! And they came running to that formation. It was a shout. Drill Sergeant Trust, he had this shout 
that just struck fear in those private hearts. And they knew that whatever they were doing, stop and come. And all of a sudden, all these privates just said, all converged in one spot and they got in a formation. But that's the picture of this phrase shout in verse 16. It's a commanding. It's in the Old Testament, trumpets were sounded to call men to war, to call assemblies together to come and worship. And that's what it was like. It, it was a, it's going to be a trumpet and whatever we're doing, whatever's taking place, maybe the hair stands up on the back of our neck, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But we are going to be called home to the Lord Jesus Christ taking us to heaven. Halfway through verse 16, and he says this. We'll, we'll read the rest of verse 16 and 17. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. My friend, this is what the New Testament calls the blessed hope. This is the blessed hope. It is more than just a hope. It's a certainty. It's a fact. But it's the blessed hope. And the word hope is used because it's a future, it's a future event. It's a future event. It's the promise that, that this event will take place. Have you ever heard someone say, um, well, that word rapture is not in the Bible? You ever heard that? The word rapture is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word Bible is not in the Bible. There's a lot of words that aren't in the Bible, but they represent biblical truths. Look down at verse 17. I'm going to show you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you where we get the word rapture from. In verse 17, um, Scripture says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be, there it is right there, caught up. Caught up. The Greek word there is harpazo. It means to seize, to carry off by force, to happen quickly. And in, our, in the Latin Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate Bible, this word, this phrase, in their language, is translated rapturus. Rapturus. From where we get our English word, the rapture. So, yeah, if you, you, know, you want to call it the, the doctrine of the catching away, which we can't because everybody knows it as the rapture. But that's, that's where they, we get the phrase, the rapture. is, is this, this snatching away, this carrying off by force. That, uh, and, and let me just say this, that Paul uses no allegorical language here. You can't allegorize this. You can't say this has some other meaning. He uses straight, uh, clear, plain language when describing the rapture. This is no parable. This, this is no, um, there's no deep spiritual truth here. It's just the fact that Christ will return. Christ will return. And then look at the end of verse 17. This is, this, is, this, is, this, is the, this is the goal of the rapture. This is, this is where we're heading. It's in the verse 17. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I love verse 18. Such a high and biblical truth, the rapture. And then he brings it back down to verse 18. He says, therefore, comfort, comfort one another with these words. The truth of the rapture is not meant to scare us. The truth of the rapture is not meant to scare us. It's meant to comfort us. It's meant to comfort us and to keep us going in life. It's meant to remind us that our God is faithful and, and he will come again. It's, it's meant to remind us 
uh, the rapture, that God loves you. God loves you. He cares for you. And he's got a future plan for you here on this earth and in eternity. So God loves you. He cares for you. And one day, one day, you'll receive the reward of your faith. You know, one day we're not going to need prayer. Did you know that? One day we're not going to need prayer no more because we can go see him face to face. We can go see him face to face in his presence, this fullness of joy. We'll get to see him and know him as he is in his glorified state and our glorified bodies. These, these, are, these are big, high and lofty biblical truths. And, 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 and as the scripture says, we need to understand it. It doesn't mean we know every little nuance of every little event. We don't, some of us we have questions about different events. But in general, we should have a general understanding that one day the rapture will take place. And God will fulfill his promise to us and to all believers around the world that he will come again. Now, the big question is, when will this event take place? When will this event take place? All right, this is when everybody gets out their holsters. This is, this is what causes debates in churches and, and, and causes uh, people to wrangle and all these books to be written. There's been thousands and thousands of books written on the different views. I want to present to you the four main views of the rapture. And everything, the title of these views is based on the tribulation. And what I mean by that is the Calvary Chapel and myself, I'm a pre-trib guy. In other words, I believe that the rapture of the church is going to take place before the great tribulation. I believe it's the next prophetic event on calendar that it's just going to happen at any moment. And we're going to be translated and taken to heaven. Then the world's going to go into a great tribulation. And Oh, yeah. And in case I didn't say it a while ago, the great tribulation is a seven-year period. It's that day of the Lord period that we were talking about. A second view is the mid-trib. The mid-trib. Uh, some people believe that Christ will come halfway through, halfway through the, um, the great tribulation. And um, the third view is um, actually I'm going in chronological order. There's the post-trip. But then there's the pre-wrath view. The pre-wrath view says that the church is going to go into the great tribulation and be taken out before God's wrath is poured out on the world. And then there's a fourth view, and that's the post-tribulation. And that, that, that camp believes, no, the church is going to go all the way through the great tribulation. And we're going to be raptured at the very end. Those are the four main views. Now, here's the thing we got to remember. This is not a doctrine that divides. We don't divide over this. Why do we not divide over this? Because it's not an essential to salvation. It's not an essential to salvation. Here's the deal. Whether you're pre-wrath, post, mid, or pre-trib, whatever position you are, um, we all believe in the same events. We all believe that there's a future rapture, where there's a future great tribulation, there's uh, the second coming of Christ. There's the millennial reign. There's the great white throne of judgment. But some of us put them in different order. Some of us put them in different order. So we all believe the same thing. We, we just put them in different order. But what I want to share with you this morning is my position and, and the, the Calvary Chapel position. And everything, remember, this is the key to all belief, to everything that we believe, is it has to be grounded in Scripture. So what I want to do is I want to share with you why 
Pastor David is a pre, why do I hold the pre-tribulation view? And why does Calvary Chapel hold the pre-tribulation view? I want to give you three reasons. Number one is scripture. Number one scripture. Let's go through some verses that will be up on the screen. Revelations chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. These were written to the church at Philadelphia. And what I want you to notice is that there's an hour of trial coming, according to verse 10. And who does it come upon? Just that church? It comes upon the whole world. So, we, so that's the first verse that I would point to that I believe that the church will be taken out of the world before the Great Tribulation. The next one is 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And it says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The other side of the camp would say that this wrath here is talking about hell. But I believe in the context of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, where there's a major emphasis on the uh, great tribulation and, and the rapture and the return of Christ, I believe he's talking about the great tribulation. So that's, that's the next verse. To wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Next verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, it says very clearly, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the three scriptural references that Pastor David holds. So when somebody asks me, Pastor David, what are you? I'm a pre-trib. Well, why are you a pre-trib? Well, because the Bible says here, here, and here that, um, that we will be exempt, we're kept from the wrath. That's why I believe. The second reason, the second reason I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture is the layout of the book of Revelation. If you study the book of Revelation chapter by chapter and verse by verse, in Revelations chapter 1 through 3, you have the seven churches. And then in Revelations 4.1, it uses this phrase. It says, after this, after these things. And then from Revelations chapter 4 to Revelations chapter 19, you have a world in chaos. You have a world in turmoil. You have this great um, tribulation taking place. And from Revelations 4 to 19, get out your concordance. There's no mention of Christians. There's no mention of the church. There's no instructions for the church. It's completely void of Christian believers. Now what we do have in there is you have the 144,000 and you, and you have the Jewish a Jewish remnant coming to Christ who are evangelizing the world. But that sets in perfect with that being the great tribulation and God reviving the nation of Israel and bringing them back. And in chapters 1 through 3 of Revelation, the church is mentioned 19 times. Revelation 1 to 3, 19 times the church. And then after that, it's not. There's no mention of the church until you get to Revelation chapter 19. And what happens at Revelation chapter 19? You have the great, you have the uh, Christ, the second coming of Christ coming back with the, those who have been washed in the blood, those who are, 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 are white and are on the horses coming back with Christ to the earth. 
So the first one is scripture. The second one, I, I look at the layout of the book of Revelation. And number three is this. I believe that the pre-trib rapture is the only view where you can honestly say this. Jesus could come today. Be ready. Jesus could come today. Be ready. With the pre-trib view, we are looking for the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go through another round of verses of why I hold this. The first one, Matthew 24, 44, says, Jesus says these words, Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 25, 13, he says, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Uh, Mark 13, 35 through 37, he says, Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Did you hear the key words in all those verses? The, the key words in all those verses was watch, be ready. You know, uh, in, in Titus, Titus is a pastoral epistle that gives the pastor instructions. And he says in there to teach scripture, to teach doctrine until the coming of the Lord. That is why I hold to a pre-tribulation rapture, a, a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. But again, maybe you're here in your post-trib, maybe your mid-trib, maybe your pan-trib, maybe your it-trib, or this-trib, or this-trib. You know what? Regardless of what position you hold, let's link arms together and win souls for Jesus. Amen? And let's talk about it, and let's discuss it. You know, I, I think it's, it's okay to have different views. It sharpens us. Because when, 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 we, when we don't see eye to eye or, or we don't have the same view, it makes us go to the scripture. And it makes us sharpen one another. But it's never nothing that you divide over. We, di we divide over the doctrine of, of what happened at the cross, at his resurrection, the inspiration of scripture. We hold this whole entire Bible to be inspired by God. Remember what the promise is in, in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes again? What is it? He's called faithful and true. And he holds himself. He holds his, the scripture says, he holds his word even above his own name. So that's why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. But my question for you guys this morning is, first, are you ready? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And you are born again? And also, how about those people around us? How about those people around us? You know, um, we can tell people Christ will come again. And because of that truth, that there's one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament, you need to get right with the Lord. You need to get right with the Lord. And it simply, it simply comes by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and him living in your heart. Have you done that? Do you know people who haven't?
If you haven't, pray that prayer. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Begin this new journey, this new walk with the Lord that one day is going to culminate with you out of here. It's a beautiful truth. And maybe you know someone who's not right with the Lord. Share these truths with them. Not in some crazy, wild-eyed, preaching way, but just simply, lovingly, caringly. Hey, man, we see all this chaos going on. We see the, all the political stuff happening and all the things happening in the Middle East and Afghanistan and around the world. You know, just n- know that the world is on a pathway. That the destiny is the return of Christ and him coming again. If you're here and you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I ask you to come see me after service, after closing, or back when we're praying, and let's make it right. Let's, let's get things right with the Lord and then take this message to the world outside. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth that you are coming again. And Lord, as that song that we opened up with, Father, let us be ready, Lord. Let us love you, serve you, and trust you, Lord. Help us to abandon long-faced religion and embrace you with all of our hearts. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for this morning service, and we thank you for the truth of the rapture. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.